Welcome right into the studio, Hidden Nation. So good to see you. You got Josh Carey right here, your hidden entrepreneur. You're tuned in to 710 WOR, the voice of New York, right here on that iHeartRadio network. If you haven't already, make sure to download that free iHeartRadio app. You're going to be able to do a few things with that. For one, you can listen to every episode in the back catalog of this very show, but also the back catalog of every show you might love. So there we go, Hidden Nation. Look, today's a very important, really important episode for all of us. Whether you've experienced the topic firsthand or not, it is important. Our guest is Rachel Smith. She's medically retired from the Air Force as a public affairs officer. The topic at hand here is military sexual trauma, also known as MST. Rachel has experienced this and thankfully came out on the other side positively. We're going to talk about all of it. So sit tight and tune in. Rachel, thank you for courageously joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I painted the picture, but certainly there's a lot of nuance here. So let's let's get to the um, the heart of it, if you will. Um, what was your role in the military overall? I was a public affairs officer. So basically that is the base of the Air Force. Uh, you do base tours, air shows, speeches for the commander, just all sorts of stuff. The, the social media management now is a big component. It wasn't <laughs> so long ago. And we deal with the media. I myself took a media embed over to Kyrgyzstan back in 2014. And it's it's an experience. You deal with crises, you deal with um, any sort of media advisories, whether it's about something going on on base or an event coming up or something like that. And as we're talking about, as it's known, MST, military sexual trauma, you've experienced this on a few different occasions, right? Yes. Um, when I was in college, when I was in Air Force ROTC, I unfortunately had a not so great boyfriend and it was domestic violence. And it was something that I think profoundly changed me as a person. And then when I commissioned into the Air Force and got to my first duty station, I don't think I was really at all in a place to rebuff advances like that, just out of already experiencing PTSD and not knowing that I had it. And uh, I, I love what you were telling me prior to going on air here as to growing up, you, you were a military brat growing up. And what early on did the uniform represent? For me, it was home. Um, as I was telling you, I was born in New Jersey, but I know nothing about it. <laughs> we left probably within a year and a half of, of my birth and probably weeks after my younger brother <laughs> was born. And from there, we've been bouncing around the US and the world. Uh, I went to high school in Germany. And so seeing a uniform for me was immediately a sense of safety and community. It was like, if I'm ever in trouble, I can just find someone that's wearing <laughs> that mottled green or the navy blue or whichever and know that I was safe and, and would be assisted. So how do you wrap your head around that 
truth when that changed for you? It was really difficult for me because growing up, I, I saw my mom putting on the uniform daily. And to me, it was like she was Clark Kent and putting on her, <laughs> you know, her tights and her cape. But when I was on the other side of that, I think that actually contributed to a lot of the, the PTSD and anxiety because it was a shock to the system. It was something that was a core belief for me that this is home uh, because I hadn't really had a home growing up. So any military environment to me was immediately home. So when something that represented safety to me became a danger, I truly didn't know how to handle it. It was all of a sudden nowhere was safe. Hmm. Before the incident in the Air Force, what year was that, 2013? Yeah, I'm there 2013 or 14. Mm -hmm. Before that incident, did you consciously or perhaps subconsciously have any idea that this was happening? No, I think that uh, with the person in particular, uh, <laughs> when I had first gotten to the base, I wasn't really interested in him. And we met at a beer tasting. It was with the company Great Officer Club. And he had offered to walk me home. Um, I had ridden there with my supervisor and his wife and that particular person. And he walked me home. And at that point, I was brand new to the base. I didn't have my furniture yet. But I do remember him trying to kiss me when I got inside. And I was like, I'm, I'm at home. Why aren't you leaving? And he stayed there. And I froze. I didn't really know what to do. And then as time went on with me already having the PTSD and anxiety from what happened in college, he just wore me down basically until we ended up dating. <laughs> and um, it went from there. It was just probably one of the most toxic things I've ever experienced. So what do you do in order to, in those moments, transition out of that? Is it finding someone to speak to? Is it doing some internal work, a combination? Before you're able to begin the longer term work that we'll get into, what are your first moments of, okay, this isn't good for me and now I have to do this? First, it's getting out of denial. I think a lot of people in that situation, um, our, our brain is doing a lot of mental gymnastics just to protect us <laughs> in that situation. But when you do finally recognize what's going on, it's separating yourself from it immediately and cutting all contact and, and doing what you can to get yourself to a place of safety, whether that's maybe going to a shelter or um, if you're in the military, going to the SARC office or legal and just saying, this is going on, I need help. Asking for help is the first step for sure. And was that helpful? Was there support? Yes, there was a lot of support. My uh, SARC representative was an absolute angel. Um, she actually was instrumental in me getting placed at a new duty station. Wow. And was this help, um, was there also help you needed or received outside of the military? Yes, after I separated, I just, I think it was also overwhelming that I 
lost very much my definition of my place in the world as a service member and as just a part of the military community at large. And it was very hard to reconcile with losing an identity like that. And so it was multiple hospitalizations, lots of therapy. I can't tell you how many different medications I tried, ECT, ketamine therapy. Um, there's a thing called a stellate ganglion block. So there's a nerve here in your neck that transfers, I'm guessing, the panic attacks. And so <laughs> that shot is supposed to block that nerve and it didn't work for me. But um, when I did find the medication that I'm on currently, it was like the lights came on in my head and I was able to finally use all of the things that I had learned in therapy, whether it was setting the boundaries, using breathing techniques, grounding myself if I felt anxiety coming on. And it really makes a whole other difference. Like I know that a lot of people don't want to be on medications, but to me, I don't think there's any shame in it. If you need that, you know, extra boost to keep going, go for it. I know shame uh, for all of us with whatever we're personally dealing with is, um, is rampant. I'm sure that was something specific you had to work through. Yeah, it's when you are in that in that situation and people somewhat know that you've made a report, but they don't know the details of it. And there's all of these whispers. Mm. People start filling the blanks in with plots from movies or TV shows and, and all sorts of things, things that couldn't be any further from the truth. And even in a lot of the interviews that I've done with my guests, they said the worst part of it was not the actual assault, but the aftermath of people just whispering and, and the rumor mill just turning and the military at large is we're worse than high school gossip, you know, like things spread like wildfire like that. How, uh, when, when you reported this, what was their stance? Um, for me, I when I made the report, it was something where I I was scared to, honestly. And the SARC representative made it very easy. She also got me in touch with the Special Victims Council. There was a specific lawyer for these kinds of cases. And I went through an OSI investigation. And then some of these rumors got out of control. So there was an investigation about that too, because um, at some point my car got vandalized and um, I was scared to go to work. And although I didn't feel supported by my peers, all of the different organizations that were there to assist me, I, I felt very comfortable with them and and like I was getting help. I could imagine that, especially in the uh, moments shortly thereafter, support is paramount. Who did you lean on? The SARC and <laughs> the SBC, the Special Victims Council, and my mother. She was yeah. active duty at the time and nothing like that had happened to her in her career. And there were times where I would call her at midnight, waking up panicking. Mm. Uh, one of my sergeants was actually on deployment and I was watching his dog and that dog and I 
became so close. And I think she was a large part of the reason I, I stayed alive during that point was I was that lost and scared. But uh, Maya was there every step of the way. She, I don't think she had any sort of training as like an emotional support animal or a therapy animal, but she was just that intuitive that she knew something was wrong. There are people in the military who, who have not experienced this, people who have, uh, and maybe people who are currently and trying to navigate themselves out and through it. Let's talk about each group for a minute. For the people that haven't, what do they need to know, do, or be aware of? If you haven't experienced it, you don't know how isolating it is because you, the, the person that's going through that situation, they've lost their ability not only to trust others, but themselves. And then when you have the military gossip network going, <laughs> it just makes it even more awful. So if you haven't experienced this yet, you hear people whispering around, call them on it, tell them to stop, tell them that's not okay. And uh, if, if you can offer support in any way possible, whether it's just listening or just saying, hey, I'm here, if you feel like you're not safe or something like that, because I think for me, when I would just go home from work, it was just shaking pretty much all the time, me petting the dog and, and shaking <laughs> until it was bedtime. And then when I went to sleep, if I slept, it was nightmares. So uh, it's very debilitating. Uh, there's the stress, the anxiety, the lack of sleep, and then you feeling completely isolated and all of these people around you whispering and nudging and God, just, you know, just all the worst parts of communication. Basically they're, they're happening all around you. Hidden nation. You're tuned into my conversation with Rachel Smith, a survivor and advocate of military sexual trauma wonderfully have since done the good work for herself and now for others working through this. Rachelle, so the person going through it now, what do they need to know? You're not alone. Um, the, the isolation is God awful, but please rely on the resources that are available to you. There are so many now as compared to maybe the 90s or the 80s within the military. So use every single one that's available to you. And also, um, it's, it's hard to understand, but I don't think it's wise to try to go back to the person you were before. Um, you're kind of fundamentally changed by an event like that. So striving to be the person you were before is not uh, really conductive to your mental or emotional wellness, but just striving to get better. Mm. Being better is great. I mean, I, I know I'm not the person I was before, but that doesn't mean I'm unhappy. It doesn't mean that I don't have friends now. It doesn't mean that I don't have a great support network. I do have all of these things. Uh, the person I was before, I miss her. And, you know, I see sparks of her here and there, but um, 
I know I, I'm probably always going to be a hypervigilant person. I'm always going to be overprotective of my friends. Um, if I do go out and someone wants to stay out later, I'm not letting them stay out later by themselves. <laughs> I will be there until five, six o'clock in the morning until <laughs> I know that they've gotten home safely. But it's it's okay to not be who you were before. Oh, it's almost necessary, is it not? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I fully agree with that. No matter what we've experienced in our own trauma, uh, we, you know, because I, I think uh, many of us have in our own ways. Uh, and I think that it's fundamental to shift identity as much as you can and to and to be okay with that because that in and of itself could be very difficult how did you um how did you grasp that well it was uh when I had gotten to my new duty station I realized I was not using very good coping skills whatsoever it was mm. uh, lots of drinking um overeating not wanting to exercise but um my my supervisor she was really awesome about just trying to understand <laughs> and the the best way that i explained it to her was when you've gone through um a sexual assault or a rape it's like you were murdered but you still have to live with it that person you were before is gone hmm from your perspective, uh, we know that there are there are bad people in in every industry. But is this um, is this more rampant than somebody like me, a civilian on the outside, would believe? Or is it? Uh, yeah. Tell, tell me. Tell me what you see on the inside. Um, from my perspective, I think that. Yes, it's it's changing. There have been great strides made, but it's still a cultural issue. Um, a lot of the briefings are framed as don't do this. Like if your uh, spouse has alcohol, don't touch them, don't, you know, sleep with them or something like that. And the reasoning is because it could be used against you rather than mm. like a, it's it's framed as sexual assault or MST at large is still used as a weapon rather than something that happens to a person. Hmm. Tell me about this podcast that you're launching um, soon. And uh, by the time you hidden nation are hearing this, uh, we'll link to the episodes that are already launched. Tell us about this and the significant launch date. <laughs> the podcast name is Silence Voices, Stories of MST, and it will be launching on Veterans Day. Um, the first 10 episodes, um, I'm calling them the pilot episodes, and it is testimonies from people that have gone through MST um, and all the different ranging, whether it was from sexual harassment to uh, rape. And it's interesting to hear all of these stories because it's from different genders, different ranks. Uh, one is she's a military dependent when it happened. She was the daughter of a service member and it happened to her. And so the goal with these episodes is to give people an understanding of the range of this, where it's not 
it's not what is seen that hits national news every few years. It's something that's daily, hourly even. And I think it's um, relevant to have it come out on Veterans Day just because a majority of the people now that are filling the VA, they're, they're female. Female veterans are the, the biggest growing demographic currently. And personally, I don't think that the VA is really equipped for that. Um, I've had god awful experiences with the VA, but one of my guests on the on the podcast, she's had a wonderful one. It's just kind of based on where you're located. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think that this is an opportunity for people to really see behind the veil. I think it's something that isn't really widely spoken of. And, and if it is, it's something that people are like, oh, don't say that. <laughs> what is your hope but for the podcast? My hope is that people do understand just how pervasive it is and that there is a culture shift within the military where there's a push to stop the rumor mill, for instance, or we stop referring to spouses as dependapotamus and things like that, where there is a culture of, what's a good word, dismissive, attitudes towards anything female <laughs> but um the victims that are or the survivors that are male they go through an even worse time because having that gender involved in something that awful it's something that becomes a point of ridicule rather than uh, empathy and I, I i do have a, a male survivor that shares what his experience was like and it's eye-opening that he was failed on so many levels by so many people not only when he was active duty but also as a veteran trying to get help within the VA so my hope is that people get this understanding and next year going to be getting the paperwork together to start the nonprofit so that we can raise money to send people to, or send our veteran survivors to places like The Refuge. Um, the Refuge is a, I think it's the best in the nation, actually. It, it's uh, specialized trauma care. They work with addiction and a lot of addiction stem from traumatic experiences, but then um, they do specialized trauma care. And it's, I, I went there myself and it was incredible. There were, were so many different avenues of care. Uh, they had the equine therapy, EMDR, group therapy, yoga nidra, all of these different confidence courses. And they there was also like a spiritual aspect if, if that was something you were interested in, but the amount of care was like nothing I had ever received on the active duty or um, trying to get help within the VA. So if I can raise money to send people to programs like that and they can finally get over the hump of I'm going to be impacted by this for the rest of my life and instead of having that be something that makes them feel bad but more become something that they can take in stride and do good with, that is the, <laughs> the overall goal. Words matter and are specific. When you were telling that story, you first said victim, 
and then quickly mm-hmm. corrected yourself to survivor. Tell me about that difference. Well, as a communications <laughs> major and also a public affairs person, yes, words are are very, very powerful. And when someone is referred to as a victim, that is still taking their power away in that situation, whereas a survivor or a fighter or something like that is you beginning to take ownership of this incredibly terrible event in your life, but it's something that you are now deriving strength from and purpose from and saying, look, this didn't stop me. This is something that it's made me Rachel 2.0 <laughs> or something like that. You know, it's I'm now the the bionic woman in terms of mental health. Isn't that miraculous? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. What is your outlook now on the military? I, I do think that we're in or we're going in the right direction. Um, change is something that is slow. <laughs> no matter the organization, whether it's Hollywood, the military, or I don't know, even maybe within the public school system, change is always going to be slow. And I think that having tempered expectations is something that people need to have. It's not going to be like, okay, this podcast starts on November 11th and December 11th, we'll have a whole new force. Like, <laughs> No, that's, that's not how it's going to work. But um I do think that the strides are being made. And I think if if something like this had happened to me now versus back then, I do think it, even though I was supported then, it would st- still be a completely different experience now. So I, I really appreciate uh, the steps that President Biden took <laughs> earlier this year with the executive order. And I really think that people now have a chance to feel heard and feel seen rather than the the feelings of isolation. I really appreciate the important work you're doing. I get it. I know Hidden Nation does too. Where should the listener go to learn more about you, your podcast, and any resources should they be experiencing any of this? Uh, definitely check out silencevoicesmst.com. Uh, from there, you can find all of our different social media channels. We're everywhere. <laughs> Still working on growing the audience. Um, if you're a veteran and you are feeling like you're close to crisis or in crisis, please call um, the Veterans Crisis Line. Um, they are there to help you get to the resources. Um, I've also contacted um, Wounded Warrior Foundation. And then um, even the local police, they have victim advocates. So they would have local resources for you right near your home. And then also, if you feel like you're a danger to yourself or others, please just go to a hospital. Rachelle Smith, I cannot wait to follow up with you. You're welcome on the show anytime. Congratulations on all the good work, all the success you've achieved. I know you don't take it lightly. And from the outside (laughs) looking in, you're beautiful on the inside and the out. So thank you for joining us today, Rachelle. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you, Hidden Nation, for taking your time, investing your time in this very important topic and subject. 
take a stance, take a step in the right direction, do what you know is right on any level. We're here for you. We're going to do this again before too long. Until we do, take care. Be well.